Hi. <laughs> uh, um, they had to stop me because I saw all of you coming in. I was like, I'm going for hugs. I'm just going. So uh, thank you. As Charity said, thank you for being here. After three months of, this is what the last three months have been. Standing right here to a camera and John. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to report, like on our spreadsheets, we, we're going to have a 15,000% attendance increase this week because we went from John to 150 people by the end of this morning. So anyway, I, um, I am just honestly just, uh, I was kind of overcome by just all of us being here right now. Um, we threw out a phrase last week. If you didn't get to see uh, the message, it was the first message in this series over it that we've been talking about, this phrase that I'm sure we've all said in some form over the last few months, I'm over it. Because we're all over something, right? We're over masks. We're over quarantine. We're over social media. Some people are over the government. You're over the other political party. We're over, we're over staring at our four walls. It, we're just over it. And what we, where we landed last week was that for, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, there is freedom from being over it. And what we, where we landed last week was that freedom means the inside remains fixed on Jesus, even when the outside has yet to be fixed by Jesus. Now, that, that like sounds wonderful, but I, over the next few weeks, I want us to kind of understand and, and see how God's word helps us understand how we landed in a place of just being over everything. Because over the next few weeks, as we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12, what it really is, is a call back to faith for a people that, whose faith was waning and their faith was, was struggling. And even as I look at the pages of Hebrews, I go, yeah, I needed that. I needed to hear that. And I needed to hear that. And I needed to hear that. So we're going to spend a few weeks in these two powerful chapters of Hebrews. But as I've looked over the last few weeks at this and thought about this phrase over it, I, I think what has caught my attention is just how many times I've heard it from people and from who I've heard it from. Because I've, I've talked to a few people that I remember them in youth group years ago, and they had this really, really strong faith. And yet one of them on social media just a few weeks ago was actually advocating for violence against a cause that they didn't agree with. And, and I thought, whoa. What happened there? I mean, I, mean, I understand like a, a, a holy, righteous burden and anger, but what shifted to the point where you got away from the love that Jesus was about? Well, the answer is they're over it. And, and we, could, we could go deeper and we could call it what it is. It's, it's sin. It's sin in all of our hearts that we're all vulnerable to. And maybe the thing that caught my attention most was actually a phone call that I got at the very beginning of all this uh, we were like week two into what was really a formal shutdown uh, across America. And this person called and they said, hey. And I was like, hey. And they said, how are you doing? And I was like, well, I, I was good until this, <laughs> this phone call came. How are you? And, and I was just taken back at, at how devastated they were. And yet, I understand because I've had a few of those moments throughout all, throughout all this, as maybe you have as well. And so, I want to come back to this phrase, over it. Because as I look at Hebrews, as we'll get into this morning, over it, the phrase I'm over it is really a statement that something inside of us has gotten overwhelmed. And you may not agree with that, but understand there are different types of being overwhelmed. Okay, there's, 
There's like the, uh, I have a lot to do, overwhelmed. Right now, it's wedding season, and I'm, I'm dealing and getting to interact with a few different brides who, uh, it's funny to watch the dynamic. Bride and bride's mom, totally overwhelmed. Groom, staying back. If he's smart, he's staying back, right? So there's that kind of overwhelmed. There's the uh, sensory overload of overwhelmed. When my wife and I used to work with the youth group, parents would drop off, I remember this one kid, they would drop off this kid with like, a Coca-Cola. And so you can imagine what he was like for an hour and a half a youth group. And so what I would do is I'd rig the game at the end of the night to make sure he won an energy drink when we put him back in the car with his parents. That's a different kind of overwhelmed. There's, a, there's an emotionally overcome, weak in the knees, heart all a flutter overwhelmed, much like my wife gets when I walk through the door. And she's not at this service, so we're just going to stick with that, all right? No, don't tell her I said that. The letter to Hebrews, the letter to Hebrews is to a group of readers that are a tired, overwhelmed. They're incredibly overwhelmed. And there's evidence in there that they've, they've depended on some things that were, that were tied to God, that could be connected to God, but they were depending on things still outside of him. The, the author who wrote the letter to Hebrews, he addresses angels. Because apparently some of them were so fascinated with the miraculous works of angels and all the wonderful things angels were going to do, do maybe for them, that he said, no, 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 like angels actually serve God's purpose. It's not, it's not for you. And while I've not heard anybody talk about angels throughout all this, I know that there are many of us that we're, we're hoping to see some miraculous sign and we're hoping in that sign. And the author of Hebrews says, look, Come back. Come bring your dependence back to where it ought to be. There's evidence that some of them were depending on a leader like Moses, and their focus was on people. And of course, for Hebrew readers, of course they remembered Moses. They were remembering his leadership in the desert, although the people in the desert at the time of Moses didn't quite see it that way. But they were, they were maybe looking at a person. And I have no doubt every single one of us has stared and looked at a person throughout all this, that if they would just... Or if they would just not, we'd be okay. There's even evidence that they were trusting and depending on God's timing, their picture of his timing. It had been 30 to 60 years since Jesus had been crucified and ascended to heaven. And the Hebrew recipients of this letter, they were holding on to this promise that he said he's coming back. And 30 years goes by. And then 40 years goes by, and 50 years goes by, and still nothing happening. And the cemetery off to the side of the church is beginning to fill up because people are hoping and hoping and hoping to see this promise, and it's not happening. I mean, you, you can imagine how long that must have felt because remember how long the last three months has felt? Imagine decades of waiting and waiting and waiting. And so there's evidence that they're tired because they've been depending in some things connected to God, but still outside of God. There's evidence they were discouraged just by the sheer number of encouragements that the writer of Hebrews gives throughout the letter. But there's also evidence of something else. And I think that's really at the heart of the issue when we use the phrase, I'm over it. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of this letter, he uses this word, he says, we do not want to see you become, and there's a Greek word, akadia. And akadia, when you translate it into English, 
It's sloth. And sloth, I don't know about you, that's not really a word that like gets me worried. I mean, sloth sounds like you like laid in the bathwater too long. Or, or you like let your ice cream melt. You didn't eat it fast enough. But maybe a better word and a synonym for sloth is apathy. See, apathy was at the root of the issue for the Hebrew readers. And i got to be honest, as I've looked around over the last few months, apathy could be the greatest danger for every single one of us. Because think about it, we've all been sitting in our same four, within our same four walls. And what happens when all you see is the TV, and then you have your thoughts, and then there's the TV, and then there's our thoughts, and there's social media, and there's our thoughts. You know what we do? We start to get a little bit distorted. And we get a little bit turned around. And so, the writer of Hebrews, he, he notices their faith is waning. And noticing this, he calls them back. And he calls them back to something that we often, we just completely miss in the middle of circumstances like this. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. He says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Do you notice what he, what he pinpointed there? He said, I want to bring you back to not your definition of loving other people, not your definition of care, but God's definition of care. See, when we, when we take on the attitude of I'm over it, what we're actually doing is taking on an attitude of apathy. And an attitude of apathy overwhelms our sense of the one who cares most. It's an attitude of I couldn't care less. And it overwhelms our sense of the one who cares most. I got a glimpse of this over the last few months. One of our kids came to me one morning, and I had had one of those mornings that we've all had. Social media, headlines, same four walls. I'm thinking, oh, everything's, everything's dark, everything's dreary. We're never going to come out of this. And one of our kids walked up and said, Dad, could I have a snack? And it's amazing the mind space I was in. And I didn't say this, but I was thinking this, like, I'm going through a global pandemic right now, and you need to eat. I mean, how dare? How dare you ask? And yet, and if I were to stop and look around, I'd go, you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm being upheld. I'm being sustained daily, every single one of us, much more by the Lord than we even realize. And yet, in our sense of being overwhelmed, we can, we can cultivate apathy, and we can overlook God's definition his care for us, and how we're to care for others. And what happens is we overlook something, and I love where the author landed here. He talks about the example of Jacob and Esau. Look at it again. Verse 17, see to it that no one is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now, if you don't know the story, this, is, this was in the Old Testament. You've got these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older brother, and it really all centers around the idea of a birthright. Okay, now a birthright is not really something that we formally recognize in our culture, but you get this. How many of you in here are old, oldest siblings? Okay, me too. So we get it. We're God's favorite. 
We're our parents' favorite, okay? And how many of you are not oldest siblings in here? Okay, so you get it because you're like, they think they're God's favorite. They think they're mom and dad's favorite, but I know better because they're more lax on me. They love me more, okay? They had to keep them on a tight leash. They trust me. That's what younger siblings think. And so one day, Esau is out hunting because he's this real, like, wild, manly man. And so he's out hunting one day, and he comes in, and he is just so hungry. And he sees Jacob. Jacob chose to spend his spare time making stew, okay? This is what Jacob did. So Jacob is making stew, and Esau comes in, and he says, oh, can I have a bowl of stew? And Jacob, Jacob stops and recognizes something, because younger siblings, how often do your older siblings actually ask you for something? Yeah, it doesn't happen. There's, there's a pride thing there that it just doesn't happen. And so Jacob is recognizing this is an opportunity to leverage the question. And, and Esau, even he makes it worse. He, he gets all dramatic about it, which is also sometimes an older sibling thing. He comes in and he says, give me a bowl of stew because I am about to die. Okay, first of all, Esau, you walked in. Okay, you're talking. Okay, you're, you've got the energy to do those things. And Esau, he says, I'm going to die if you don't give me stew. Now, think about this for a minute. Esau is the oldest. So Esau has the birthright. And back then, because they formally recognized the birthright, a birthright meant you had a, a higher share of the inheritance. You received a larger portion of the inheritance. As well as disputes, any future disputes between your siblings, you got to be the one who decided it's like all the power that oldest siblings think they have, but formally given to them. And Esau says, I need that bowl of stew. And Jacob, recognizing it, goes, sure, if you give me your birthright. If you'll give me your birthright. Okay, so think about this for a minute. A birthright for a bowl of stew. The inheritance for a bowl of stew. And something has happened to Esau. Esau has lost sight of all that he had before this conversation took place. As I've looked around, as I've thought about those of us who follow Jesus or those who are considering following Jesus, you know what world events will do? They will cause you to get overwhelmed and lose sight of all the inheritance that Jesus purchased for us at the cross. And you know what we're in danger of doing? We get apathetic, and our sense of the one who cares most about us gets overwhelmed by an attitude of, I could care less. So you know what Esau did? He thought to himself, I could care less about the birthright because I need that bowl of stew. And he made the trade. And the author of Hebrews goes on, and he says, here were the implications of it. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, the birthright, because this is what older siblings do. They make a trade and then they go try to get it back. When he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. See, that's what apathy will do. Apathy will overlook the abundance of what God has already given us. And so there's a question in all this. 
You staring at a bowl of stew? I mean, we've all been kind of staring at a bowl of stew, haven't we? It's, it's, it's a lot of cultural conditions and situations that we wouldn't choose to have these come through the door, but we're choosing our attitude in the midst of them. We're saying, gosh, it, it feels really, really good to land with this opinion and this position on this. And what happens is we lose sight of the abundance of our inheritance that we already have. And we begin to think that if this situation doesn't turn out exactly the way I think it should, then I'm going to lose something. And you know what? Esau would come back around now, and I think he'd say, no, 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 don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of it. So what's, what's the bowl of stew that we're staring at? Oftentimes when you hear a sermon about Jacob and Esau, it's the bowl of stew, right? But what is the bowl of stew? Is it possible that as we look at all that's going on in front of us, we are, we are without realizing it, going to trade away the resources, the rich, abundant resources of the faith we have to get caught up, to get caught up in all the division of our current circumstances. Now, hearing all that, knowing how that situation turned out for Jacob and Esau. I think it would be helpful if one, if one of us could drop into that conversation with Jacob and Esau. I mean, if you, if you could be sitting there and you can see this trade about to happen, what are you thinking? I mean, if you could be sitting there at camp with them, sitting just feet away from them, and you see this trade about to happen, what's going on inside you? You know the implications of Esau's birthright. Do you yell something? Do do you stop it from happening? Do you swat his hand away? See, that's that's actually not, not anger. That's love. Because what was at stake for Esau was much bigger than he saw. What was at stake for Esau was that generations later, there was going to be a meeting between God and Moses. And one day, God was going to introduce himself to Moses. And you know how he's going to introduce himself? I got to read this from, from one of my favorite authors. He said, could you imagine if Esau had heard from God about this encounter with Moses, in which God was going to introduce himself as the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? Because he would have introduced himself as the father of those who had the birthright. But Esau, if you make that trade, all that goes away. And it becomes, it becomes the God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all you got to do is open this up to know what happened. He made that trade. And so, of course, you and I, if we could be sitting there, we'd swat it away, wouldn't we? We'd swat his hand away and say, don't take that trade. Don't take that trade because what looks like such a huge deal right now has huge implications. And this is why I love that the, the author of Hebrews references this. Because I believe that the writer of Hebrews, he's a pastor. And if, if I had had this pastor all my life, you know what? I'd have a greater sense of what God is up to in every single moment. Here's what he says in the passage just before he references this incident. Verse 5, he says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, 
Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And parents, why do we discipline children? Not out of anger. Okay, sometimes, maybe you do. But the, the, the foundation behind it is out of love. I want the best for you. Of course you'd reach out and slap, slap Esau's hand away. And the, the, this pastor, the, the author of Hebrews, you know what he says? That's what God does with us. When hardship comes along, it's his discipline. We don't have to treat hardship as though everything's wasting away and, and God's mad at us. And lose our, our spiritual resources that come with our faith that Jesus purchased for us. He goes on, verse 10, referring to earthly parents. They discipline for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, there's something about discipline that creates urgency, doesn't it? It creates an urgency that, that snaps us out of our apathy. You can see it there. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, to snap us out of it. And so hardship is God's way of keeping us from trading his care for an attitude of who cares. Hardship COVID-19, as we look at all of our opinions about what's going on, as we look at racial tensions, as we, as we look at potentially COVID round two and, and all the stuff you're hearing in the news right now. I mean, on the one hand, that could be like, oh, what's happening? And on the other hand, we can go, it's fine. I'm okay. And sure, there may be things that he nudges you to step into in, in the midst of all of it, but ultimately... He said, you're okay. You're okay. See, that's why we follow Jesus. Because he decided it at the cross. There is no world issue that's going to come along that's going to change that. I mean, think back to March. There was COVID, and then there were politics. And then there was no sports, which was earth-shaking for me. And then, and then there were politics. And then there were murder hornets. And then there were politics. And then there, there was uh, racial tension. And then politics. Now they're talking COVID round two, shutdown part two. And this is all before we get to November. And yet it shouldn't surprise us. In the 70s, remember, the Russians, it was the Cold War. And then we got to the 80s and 90s, and it was Saddam Hussein. 2000s, it was Al-Qaeda. 2010s, it was Baby Shark. You know, it just, it just all kinds of threats everywhere, right? Now it's COVID. And God has provided rich spiritual resources all the way through it because of what Jesus did at the cross. And so, he lands where we'll land this morning. He says, therefore, in verse 12... Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. In that phrase, make level paths for your feet, you know what it is? It's not just that the ground is level that you walk on. 
It's straightening our path back to the cross. Back to the cross. Because it's there that we operate from. We no longer have to look at every situation in front of us and say, I, I, I need that to turn out a certain way for me to be okay. He says, no, no, no. Just straighten your path. Straighten it back. And you'll understand. You'll view every hardship differently. You'll see that God is really trying to keep us from trading his care for us and for everyone we interact with for an attitude of who cares. And so all that said, let me pray. And truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to invite the band out while I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God that when, when it feels like the earth is shaking around us, you faithfully uphold and sustain. Your word is truly as alive now as it ever has been. And the spirit of God and the word of God is truly making good on the promise made by the son of God. That he will build his church and not even the gates of hell will overcome it. No global pandemic, no virus, no conflict, nothing can overcome it. And so thank you, Heavenly Father, for in a very real way, illustrating for that, that for us over these last few months. We love you and we trust you every moment walking forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.